So it's been a great few weeks here at Community Life Church. Uh, We're in this great series called Familia, and we've got to hear some great messages in week one. We learned that in God's family, we support each other. In week two, Pastor Gordon preached about how in God's family, we pray for each other. Uh, Last week, we heard that in God's family, we reconcile with each other. And it is great to be here today to wrap up this series on family with the big idea, in God's family, we love each other. Uh, It's pretty interesting timing, isn't it, really, to share this message, because it's been a year since we were preaching at our old church, and here we are preaching on family love, and then next week we get to officiate the beginning of a new family with a wedding back in Indiana. Yeah, and what I think is super fun about next week is that our entire family is going to be involved at the wedding. I mean, you're preaching, Uh, Eve is a flower girl, Rowan is going to be a ring bearer, And the bride is our other daughter. Kind of. Eve's big sister. Well, yeah, kind of. Uh, Okay, so she's no relation at all. So you see, she's from our old church. We met her about eight years ago when she was almost 14 years old. We were invited to be the pastors of her church, and we decided to get the lowdown from the youth that were hanging out on the playground. It's kind of crazy to think about that. Um, just how everything happened. So how did, how did she go from that to adopting us? Well, we started spending time with her family. Uh, her mom became my friend, her little brother and Rowan. They started hanging out and playing together at the prayer meeting. Uh, she always wanted a little sister, though. And then we had Eve. Um, and she started babysitting so that we could actually attend the church meetings instead of running in and out and take care of the kids. <laughs> and she was the best babysitter in the world. She even washed our dishes and our house looked cleaner than we'd left it. And then came the mentoring when she came to spend time with you and youth group. There was family dinners with the teens and 20s, movie nights on our sofa. And those really long theological conversations that went on way past my bedtime? They were great conversations. There was life stuff, there was theology, there was even growing with her as she developed a biblical perspective on politics. And then we also expanded our vocabulary, learning all those new words that, quite honestly, we are way too old to use. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Then there was the Mother's Day cards, the Father's Day cards. And now she's getting married. Nervous? No. Are you? Yes. <laughs> I might cry. I mean, this isn't just a wedding. This is Hannah's wedding. I mean, she helped us move out here. She drove my car. She crashed out with us, our kids, our cat, and a dog in one hotel room just so that she could see our new home and help her little brother and sister settle in. I mean, who does that? You know, family and Hannah. And you're right, this, this is a really big deal. I mean, she is our extra daughter. Um, and any wedding is a big deal just in, the, in any situation, but this is literally our family. The start of a new family. Hold on, wait a second here. So, if Hannah has kids, does that make us grandparents? Yikes. Okay, Hannah, 
If you are watching, we are too young to be grandparents. Actually, we're not. <laughs> yeah, okay, you're right. Um, but there is something about a wedding. It's that display of a couple being so in love that they want to spend the rest of their lives together. But of course, the goal of any marriage is not to be in love, but to love. Isn't love more than feelings of affection? After all, doesn't the Bible say God is love? And that is more than a feeling. So if we're going to talk about love today, we're going to have to be really clear what love even is. Well, you mentioned that God is love, and it's one of those things that we see pretty clearly uh, in the New Testament, in, especially in Jesus. But that idea of God being love is not just in the New Testament. It actually goes all the way back to the beginning and is a major theme even in the Old Testament. So God is the same in the whole Bible, in both the New and the Old Testament, and he describes himself as a loving God. It's the whole point behind that Hebrew word chesed. It really pops in there, doesn't it? That's a fun word to say, chesed. I think you should all try this one, chesed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I got to get the phlegm going in the back of your throat. Chesed. Chesed. It's a fun word, but it's reserved specifically for God, and it's often translated as loving faithfulness or covenantal love. Basically, it's God's love. It's God's love seen in action, seen in what he does. So he rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt, and he reminds them in Deuteronomy 7 that the reason he rescued them not was not because of anything great that they did or how wonderful that they were, but because he chose to love them, and he had promised to love them. And they promised that they would love him, and they would serve him forever, but that didn't quite work out. Well, no, but that's what's so cool about God's chesed. It's faithful when people aren't, and it pursues them in a radical way. Because Israel turns their back on God again and again and again, and God pursues them and rescues them again and again and again. And then it culminates in Jesus in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus gave up his throne in heaven and came to love people. He loved the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners. John says in John 15:13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did. He allowed himself to be crucified. Jesus is chesed, love in action. Romans 5.8, one of my favorite verses, I'm going to just paraphrase it, is God showed his love by sending Jesus while we were still sinners. That is a big picture of love. God is love embodied in Jesus and displayed throughout the whole of scripture. And the Bible is his love story that he invites us into. God reaches down to us because he loves. Jesus going to the cross because he loves and the whole church being founded by love. Let's take a look at that passage that Eve read for us today. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? God always shows and proves his love by 
doing things. Because love results in action. And these are guidelines for us on how to display his kind of love. So it's no wonder we often hear this verse read in weddings. I mean, the first two words defining love, patience and kindness, they're verbs. Verbs are words of action or describe a state of being or a state of doing. And I, I personally like to think of myself as a uh, largely patient person. I do pretty good waiting in lines or waiting on hold with customer service. I can generally do pretty well listening to a sales pitch before I tell the person no because they're just trying to do their job. Yeah, you do better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but sometimes I don't feel patient. You know, uh, when I walk into a room and I step on Lego, uh, or when I come into the kitchen and I find a stack of dirty dishes sitting on the counter when the dishwasher is empty, I mean, really? You open the dishwasher and you put the dishes in, then you close it. Or when there's that wet towel yeah. laying on the floor next to a pile of dirty clothes. I have to remind myself to step back, take a deep breath, count to 10, count to 10 again, <laughs> maybe one more time. Maybe the dishes were left on top of the sink because the dog or the cat threw up, or the puppies got out and are leaving a trail of carnage through the house. I need to remind myself that the kids are kids and they're still learning. They're, they're focused on the next more exciting thing. They're more focused on that than they are about their laundry. And I need to remember how patient God is with me as I keep doing my own ridiculous things or my own selfish acts when I really just want to get on to the next thing myself. So patience is about how I choose to react to those annoying circumstances. I can be upset and I can be tempted to react out of that frustration or I can kindly remind them to put their stuff away or I can just kindly do it myself. Kindness. Love is kind. Kindness is that outward act of love for others. It's thinking about them and wanting to bless them. I really, kindness is about letting your wife have puppies. It's something you didn't want to do, but you gave me because I want it. Um, kindness is when you get up early for me when we were first married, uh, when you get up early and you would make me breakfast while you were trying to be awake because you are a night owl. You wanted to be asleep, and you don't do mornings. Or trash cans. Or trash cans. <laughs> and kindness can be hard because we get busy. Uh, we get tired, we get self-focused, and we stop looking at the needs of someone else because we think more about the effort and inconvenience or the lack of sleep, um, and we look at that rather than the blessing. And love is also not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Uh, it does not demand its own way. Basically, it, it isn't self-centered. It's like love is something we were meant primarily to give to others. I love watching newly dating couples. They always seem to be looking out for ways to do things for their significant other. You know, where would you like to go to eat? Oh, I don't care. Where would you like to go? No, 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 you choose. I want to go where you want to go. There's this concern that the other person's needs are, and wants are met, and it's really sweet. We love seeing it in young couples, we love seeing it in people who've been married for a long time, and it really is beautiful. 
because it's this demonstration of this selfless love. And love is also, is also not irritable or keep records of being wrongs. And this makes me think about last week with the forgiveness and the reconciliation. I mean, well, all of this does really, but this one really stands out to me because I don't think that anyone can truly forgive and reconcile when they dwell on past hurts or they have these things constantly being brought up to them. Sometimes this is really hard. In a family, we, we love each other, but we also hurt each other deeply. We sin against each other. We get angry at each other. We get lazy. We get selfish or perhaps for some unfaithful in thought or deed. And remembering those wrongs seems to be this constant battle in families. The enemy loves to mess with our heads and our hearts and hurl the blame. It's either at ourselves or it's at our spouse or it's at our kids. You know, remember the time that you, you always, and this is just like the time when you, like we store up hurts rather than resolving them biblically, rather than repenting and reconciling. I think of the, the verse that talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger, how we are to resolve familial conflict quickly. But this is so hard. You know, like when the kids get sent to bed because of poor choices and everyone is still feeling the effects the following day. We think we're ending the problem, but often the feeling of, I can't believe they did that. It, it's still there when we wake up. Or when our spouse betrays our trust and we're deeply hurt, we're faced with a choice. Instead of holding on to that pain or anger, we are to confront in love, repent, reconcile, and choose to bear no grudges. We're not to keep that record of wrong and bring it out at a later date when we've been wronged again. Because after all, we don't want a list held over our own heads. We delight that God's mercies are brand new every single morning and that we are forgiven because of Jesus. And so love offers that to others. Love also does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And this one can be a little bit tricky. And one way that I look at this in our families is that love doesn't celebrate when something bad happens or something unpleasant happens to other people. Uh, when a person is angry at another, there is this temptation to want to be happy about them getting into trouble or suffering misfortune. Uh, siblings sometimes gloat over each other getting into trouble, a kind of this, you know, ha-ha attitude. Uh, of course, I don't personally remember doing this with, with my brother, oh, no. um, but I wouldn't be surprised if I did things to intentionally get him into trouble and try to blame it on him. Um, now, tattling, I know that I did. It never was anything big, like life-threatening or dangerous. It was just, quite honestly, I wanted to see him get in trouble. So I would pick something and tell my parents about it. Well, that's a lot of ways to not be patient or kind, and the things that love does not do. Do you think we should talk about what love does? I think it's a good idea. So, love never gives up. Other translations read, bears all things. I mean, it sounds like someone putting up with a lot, but uh, I looked this word up in the Greek and how it's, else it's been used in the New Testament, and most of the time it has this, this emotional element behind it. Uh, the bearing is not, and not giving up is this inner strength, and relationships require a lot of inner strength. They sure do. Um, 
love never loses faith and is always hopeful. And these two seem to be tied together. Um, I really like the meaning of the word hope in the New Testament. I love it. It's fantastic. It's this, it's not about a strong wish or a desire. It's about a certainty, an expectation that something will happen. So my hope is that we're going to have tacos on Tuesday. And I know we will because we always have tacos on Tuesday. Yeah, so give us a heads up if you want tacos on Tuesday. We also have chili nachos on Thursdays. But um, you, you're right, because it's even better than our weekly tacos. Biblical hope is not, it's not a wish. It's a certainty because of Jesus. And love believes or has faith in the best and hopes for the best outcome. So this has like a short-term and a long-term perspective. Mm-hmm. I can choose to believe the best about anyone in the family. Yep. Uh, and the choices that they make, even if I don't understand it. And I can also choose to focus on the long term. Imagine what would happen if everyone believed the best of their family, including us. If rather than cynicism, we viewed each other's actions believing the best, knowing that our kids actually do want to please us, knowing that our spouse is truly trying, that people can change, and that no one really did intend to leave that mess in the kitchen. It just happened. I can't help but think that families would be so much happier, but I also know it's hard. We have to ask questions, and we can't simply assume that we know something uh, and why something happened. And I think of all the times that I have responded poorly to you or to the kids, and I have reacted only to find out that it wasn't quite as circumstances looked. No, likewise for me as well. I mean, we all have done that. So love believes the best and asks questions first, and instead of reacting first. And it endures through every circumstance. Endures. Yeah, it's almost, uh, it's almost always used in the New Testament when looking at this idea of persecution. It's a uh, physical endurance to external circumstances. So Paul begins with inner strength, and he ends with external perseverance. When things get really bad, it's no longer about being mentally strong, but it's about signing up for the long haul, like being committed to see love prevail. That's what marriage does. But Paul didn't write this to the church's marriage guidance. He didn't write it for future wedding services, and he didn't even write it as guidelines for just our biological family. Paul wrote these amazing words to the church about God's family. He wrote this because he was so concerned at how the church that he had planted was behaving. There was division in the church at Corinth based on who had discipled them. Kind of a, my pastor is better than yours rivalry. Yeah, there was infighting, there was arguing, then there was the immorality, there was people doing things that people should not be doing and with people they shouldn't be doing it with. And then to top it all off, they were suing each other in court. And it's with this backdrop that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. It's with this backdrop, he's writing these beautiful instructions on love. Love is patient. It doesn't demand its own way, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Basically everything the Corinthian church was not doing. Yeah, exactly. Paul has already set out how the church is a body of uh, many parts. It's one body, like the human body, and it works together. But 
here in Corinth, that's not happening. And the foot wants to stomp on the hand, and the hand is trying to take out an eye. But it can't do this and be a healthy body. And Paul knows that. It cannot function without love. And not only can it not function, how on earth is it supposed to witness? Paul says, I could have faith that moves mountains, but it's worthless if I do not have love. Yeah, because Paul knew that the church could not witness about God's love if God's people could not love each other. If we love God, but we cannot love people, we cannot make disciples. Because how can we speak of a God who loves if we cannot? How can we participate in God's amazing love story if we do not love? But it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't Paul that came up with this. John 13, 35 records Jesus saying, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. God himself commands it. Jesus says in John 15, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus then again states it once more. This is my command. Love each other. It's clear that God is the source of love. And we've got to be connected to him if we're going to truly love in the way that he does. We love because we are loved. The disciple John reminds us in 1 John 4, 21, he's given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. That's 1 John 3, 18. The apostle John really got why we need to love. His gospel, which is what we know as the book of John, and his letters to the churches, which we know as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they are absolutely filled with reminders and definitions of love. They're always starting with God as the lover and us as the beloved. And they're always followed up with instructions on subsequently loving others because we are loved so deeply by God. Paul joins in this love movement in Colossians 2, 12 through 15. He says in verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Even Peter, love Peter, the slightly rash disciple who chopped off the ear of a soldier when Jesus was being arrested to see if he could prevent Jesus going to the cross. Even feisty Peter caught on to this idea of love, writing, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. And he follows it up with, most importantly, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. It's there in Hebrews where we are told to... Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And in John's vision, Jesus says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, but I have this complaint against you. 
you don't love me or each other as you did at first. See, God gave us a biblical command to love our neighbor. Originally, even back in the Old Testament, we see how it was love and holiness that were God's plan for his people to display who he is. And it's a command that that Jesus restated and his disciples repeat. It's everywhere in the Bible. We are commanded, we are called to be a people who love each other. A loving family, extra brothers and sisters, spiritual parents and daughters whose weddings we cry at. And if it's a command, then it's a choice. We can obey because we choose to. And that choice to love was something that the early church became known for. Do you know that they were so characterized by love that even the Romans and pagans noticed? See how they love each other, um, the Romans would say, according to Tertullian, who was around 200 AD. They're even ready to die for each other. According to Jesus, that's love. And it's a powerful witness to a world that is watching. So just because we do not feel love does not mean we do not have to love. When we do not feel love, we must choose love, and that love will result in an action. Okay, so how do we love then as a church family? Jesus says it all begins with our relationship with God. His love for us is the why and the how we love others. Our daily connection with God helps us love, and we can use this passage almost as a guide to see how we can show it. Okay, so shall we work through the passage again? Probably a good idea. Um, Love is patient. That enduring self-restraint, that action and attitude that puts up with the person next to you who just cannot sing or stumps their feet too loud. Love is patient enough to understand the diversity within the church and the preferences that diversity brings. Patience for one another to grow up in Christ. You know, one of the saddest things I've ever seen is intolerance of new Christians. Rather than delighting in the first steps, we've seen those that criticize, why don't they do this? Why are they wearing that? Why don't their kids sit nicely? But patience comes alongside, and it remembers what it was like, or it considers what it could be like, and it shows grace. Love is kind. You know who I think of when I think of this? Amy. Amy. Amy in our old church would always be looking for needs to tr- and try to find ways to meet them. She would cook. She would throw gatherings. She would drive in the opposite direction to go and get people to bring them to church or to youth group. That kindness that shows goodness is outwardly, actively kind. It's more than being just a, a nice person, but searching for opportunity to show love and Show love through kind words and actions. You know, kindness takes kids to mini golf when their parents are sick. Kindness shows shows respite care to those in need. Kindness, Kindness sends notes to people. Kindness finds words of encouragement. Love reaches out to the person that's struggling with addiction or the teenage mom, and they come alongside with with kindness rather than judgment. You know, kindness can also be found in really simple and unusual ways. 
One of the most unexpected ways that I've seen kindness recently is Jimmy and Paulette. And if you don't know, they are experienced dog breeders. I was a first-timer. And they and another friend offered to mentor me through the process. In fact, they even offered to come at during delivery if there was a problem. Like, there was no talk of consultant fees or anything. It was just kindness. Who does that? Well, Jimmy and Paulette do. Love is also not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. And I think of uh, gift envy with these, because the, uh, the Holy Spirit has given everyone who believes a spiritual gift to be used in some area of ministry. And sometimes I get people come to me and they say, boy, man, I wish that I could do what you do. And I'm often thinking, really? I wish I could do what you do. We don't always like our gift or we think that another gift is better. I mean, just imagine me being angry at you because you're super good at strategic thinking. Or imagine me starting to trash talk Jonathan because he plays bass guitar way better than I can. Or me getting mad at Gordon because he has a better beard than I do. I mean, okay, so that last one isn't a spiritual gift. But you know, the opposite end of, of this would be having an undue pride in the gift that leads to this boasting or looking down on others because their gift isn't as visible or as recognizable. And this is so typical of our culture where we esteem the CEO, but we forget about all the people that are behind the scenes who cause their success. So whether you are greeting people at the door, whether you're packing lunches for kids uh, in the community park, or whether you're running the soundboard so that we can worship together, thank you for showing love. Yeah, I think of teachability. Love is not so proud that we cannot be taught. Do you remember Ruth? Uh, Ruth was an octogenarian uh, who had loved the Lord for a lifetime, and her Bible was well-thumbed through, and it was worn. And when we met her, she was teaching Sunday school to elementary kids. But she was so patient and so humble. And when we moved to having all ages together in our studies, she reacted so well. And she would sit in an all-age Bible study with kids 70 years younger than her, and she'd actually learn from them. I remember her talking about one of the elementary boys and being so awed at his thoughts and how he, a kid, was causing this incredible woman to dig deeper in her own thoughts and her own theology. Love is also not proud, is so proud that it cannot ask for help. Because when we're in a loving relationship, we want to bless one another. So love does not demand its own way. And we've both seen this before. Church infighting, usually over something like music. Uh, in, the, in the Lutheran church that, that I grew up in, there was this huge uproar when we moved from the red hymnal to the blue hymnal. I think that the biggest difference was the typeface and removal of some of the these and the thous. But everyone has their preferences and opinions, but when we focus, and when I focus on my preferences, I start to get irritable, and I start to feel like I'm somehow being wronged, and it can start to affect my attitude and my mood and my thoughts, and it quite honestly makes me selfish and 
I don't want to be selfish. I don't want you to be selfish. No, no. <laughs> I, I want to have room for differences. And when that happens, the tendency can then be fault-finding. We become aware of, of every problem, and then that feeds the irritability, and then the discord in the church grows. When the solution is lovingly talking things through or agreeing to lovingly disagree. And I love that this church, that we can agree on the essentials, but there's still the room for those differences. So we hold on to those essentials, but we hold our preferences more lightly. And I love that uh, love does not rejoice about injustices, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Mm-hmm. You got anything? No. Okay. We love truth. <laughs> the end. We're a tr- church that stands for truth. Um, that means looking at our responses to culture through Jesus' eyes. As a people, we can't rejoice in the things that are displeasing to him. Instead, we rejoice in his truth. And in our family, we love as he intended. We celebrate the good and we come alongside. Sometimes even have those hard conversations because the foundations of the relationship is love. Paul reminds us, love believes the best. It doesn't give up. It never loses faith and it's always hopeful. You know, love looks at our pastors and our worship leaders and one another as fallible. People who make mistakes, but probably didn't mean to. People who we can go to and say, "Uh, did you mean this when you said, and we get to watch them as they realize that what they said is not what we heard and it's not how they imagined it. Um, But because we're all in it for the long haul, because we've all counted the cost and we're all in, we're family. And love endures through all circumstances. Love lasts. Yeah, like any family who works hard at being kind to one another, seeking out opportunities to bless and being patient with shortcomings, believing the best of each other and shredding that list of mistakes. You know, love grows and it lasts. The family is strengthened and it becomes a joy to be with one another. And those looking from the outside say, who does that? Man, that's an amazing family that you have. And we get to say, yeah, it's my church family, and they're awesome, and we would love you to be a part. So what are our next steps as a church family? If love results in action, uh, we as a church can all do something. And so this morning, you should have, let me borrow one of those, Mm. or two of them, um, one of these little cards with uh, three words on it. Pursue, choose, and act. Pursue, write down on your card. Who's someone you need to pursue? Who's someone you don't know or you need to know better? Because we can't love someone if we don't know them. Now you may not know who they are if you don't know them, but this could be anyone. Perhaps it's simply, I wanna meet one new person every week and I wanna get to know their name. Maybe it's going to the other service so we can build relationships within our family. Maybe it's someone you know and you want to study or invest in them. Who is your Hannah? Who in our church family do you need to 
pursue to show love to? To choose. Who do you need to love, but you just don't feel like it? Who do you need to forgive and put that record of wrongs away? Who do you need to choose to love? Because love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Who comes to mind? Is there a grievance with a brother or sister? Maybe even at a past church. But you need to lay it down at the foot of the cross. What is one way that you could love someone better for act? What virtue do you need to turn into a verb and start doing? Take a moment. You have pens in front of you and make a note. Write it down and then put your note in your Bible and just every day pray this simple prayer. God, help me to love like you do. And every day read through your card. Remember prayer is powerful. God may miraculously make them easier to love or increase your capacity to love them, to love more easily. So let's take a minute to respond in the next minute here by writing down something that we can do. In a moment, we will be having communion. And if you did not get a little communion packet on your way in, please just raise your hand uh, so one of our awesome team members can come by here. One of our awesome team members can come by um, and give you one so you can join in. But this morning, we are gonna do something a little different. So um, just listen up real quick. Today, in recognition that we are one big family, we're going to turn to the person next to us, um, yeah, you, <laughs> and we are going to simply give our communion cup to them, serve them. Perhaps you can even pit, peel off the fiddly wrapper thing if they indicate that it's okay, or just hand it to them if they look a little worried. See, because Jesus showed his incredible love for us by pursuing us. He gave up his throne in heaven and he entered this world where he lived out love. He chose to love even when humanity did not deserve it. And then he showed his love by allowing his life to be poured out as an atonement for sin of all who believe. On that night that he was betrayed, he met with his disciples and he ate with them. He took the bread and he broke it and he offered it to his disciples. Pass your cup and serve your brother or sister. Our Lord Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he took the cup of wine after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So our next steps, let us aspire to love one another as deeply as Jesus does. Let us pursue, choose, and act. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gathering this morning, this chance to come together to worship you as your family, as your body, the diversity that we see here coming together, different backgrounds, different upbringings, but united in you, united in Christ, united in love. Lord, I pray that we would all experience deeper, a deeper understanding of your love and how you've shown it to us, and then let us then turn around and show that love to other people. Let us show your love to our neighbors, to those around us, to those across the room. Lord, as Paul said, I want to experience the power of your resurrection and your love. And Lord, let us feel that this morning so that we can show it to those around us and walk out of here showing love to all around and being the witness you have called us to be. Help us pursue, to choose, and to act in love. Amen. Amen. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now go and be, be the, the church. church.